If you keep your Bibles open at uh, Zechariah uh, chapter 3 and 4, and we will get to 6 a little bit later on, I'm going to lead us in prayer. Dear Father, we thank you for your word spoken, uh, your word written down, your word read, and that we might reflect upon it and be challenged and changed by it. Do that work in us now by your spirit, we pray. Amen. Well, things are not always as they appear. Uh, What you see depends often on your perspective. Uh, Things which seem unimpressive to us can be really significant for someone else. Uh, Take this old rundown house. Uh, When you see it, what do you see? Can you see a house? That's it. Excellent. Uh, Have a think about what you see. It, It might not look much. Uh, it might look run down and old and in need of repair, a renovator's dream. Uh, But from another perspective, it may be the place someone grew up in, uh, a place of happy memories or a significant piece of history. It can be the same when it comes to following Jesus. By human standards, he wasn't impressive He preached dependence on God rather than independence of self. He didn't have vast armies or sit on a throne of riches. Instead, he was crucified on a Roman cross. And as his disciples, we're not particularly impressive either. (laughs) Do people treat you better when they know you follow him? Or do they think you childish? to still take religion so seriously. In the New Testament, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, we should expect this tension between how God sees things and how they look to us and people. Not that that makes it any less difficult to navigate at the time, but we're invited to see things God's way for our encouragement and confidence. Let me read that verse out from 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to we who believe, uh, sorry, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The same is true uh, of this whole issue of seeing things and perceptions when we come to Zechariah today and as we read it together it challenges us not to simply settle on what things look like from our perspective but instead to see what they look like from God's perspective. We're in our third week in the book of Zechariah in what in Israel's history had been some of the darkest times for God's people Uh, Though God had saved them and given them the place of privilege in his plans, they'd ignored his word and had received the judgment he'd promised. This is the uh, picture that's in your your, uh, growth group booklets, the the last chapter of the Old Testament, as it were, uh, and two chapters in God's unfolding plans before us. Uh, Though uh, God had saved them and given them a place of privilege in his plans, they'd ignored his word, They'd received the judgment he'd promised. They'd been overrun by Babylon. They'd been taken into exile. Now they were only recently back in the land. 
But as we read Zechariah and uh, Haggai is another prophet from the same time and the history of the times as is recorded in Ezra, we know it was a time of hardship and grief. Uh, Their enemies didn't want them back in the land. They made that clear in no uncertain terms. But even more significantly, more significantly for the people of God was that the temple of God and the priesthood of God and the sacrifices to offer God, all things which were really at the heart of their life together with God, they too were in ruins. Things certainly didn't look good. And yet this is the promise of God. As he had committed in the past... So he repeats at the outset of Zechariah and it hangs over every word of these visions uh, uh, and vision of these 14 chapters where we read it and we've read it each week, 1 verse 3, this is what the Lord Almighty says, return to me, declares the Lord Almighty, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. Now, last week we came to the eight visions uh, Zechariah was given, the first three of God returning to his people, the last three of uh, sin departing from God's people. Uh, Today we come back to the middle two visions, uh, and I've got to fix how that slide works, uh, where with three either side in the way we find them here, they actually uh, give focus to the two in the middle Uh, that they're of key importance. We're also going to touch on the sign, as I mentioned, in chapter 6, at the end of chapter 6, which draw these two visions together and, in fact, end the first six chapters all together. Why does God send these visions to Zechariah and, and Zechariah with the visions to his people? We've touched on that already, haven't we? It's with a message of encouragement. Things may not look impressive, but God has a bigger plan he's working to that is far more impressive than we might have thought. Trust him in it with confidence. That's the message of Zechariah. And so... Those middle visions, uh, what is the fourth vision of the eight, which we see in chapter three, it's given to encourage Joshua, Joshua the high priest of Zechariah's day, and vision five, which is in chapter four, to encourage the governor, Zerubbabel. But let's take a moment uh, for a reminder before we delve into that, a reminder of how we read the Old Testament and the New Uh, We ask first, what did it mean for them then, for the people at this particular time and place? And then we ask, how is it fulfilled in Jesus? How does it point us to Jesus? And then, because we're given the privilege of being God's people united with Jesus when we return to him and trust him, we ask then, the third question, what does it mean for us today? as people united to him. There are also a couple of ways of reading the Bible we want to avoid. Uh, Don't forget to consider what this means for them 
in their circumstances before thinking about ourselves. Uh, uh, Likewise, we shouldn't just jump from them then to us today and forget to answer how is it fulfilled in Jesus first. That can make a really big difference to our understanding of God's word because of the huge difference Jesus makes. I sort of put it up in a picky picky there. Uh, Because Jesus in his gospel, the Bible tells us, he's the key to knowing God and understanding his plans and reading his word. And that means too, we shouldn't be surprised either when a passage is more about Jesus and the one God, Father, Son and Spirit, than it is about us, as shocking as we might find that. which in many ways is what we're going to see today in our passage. So let me take you back to the first vision for today, the fourth vision of the eight. It's all about the priesthood and restoring the priesthood, uh, where the high priest was a go-between. He, he came before the people on behalf of God and before God on behalf of the people. Uh, With all of that in ruins as it was, look how God's going to deal with sin and the priesthood and so restore his people. Chapter 3 from verse 1. Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right side to accuse him. The Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan, The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this man not a burning stick snatched from the fire? Now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. The angel said to those who were standing before him, take off his filthy clothes. Then he said to Joshua, see I have taken away your sin and I will put fine garments on you. Uh, What's the picture that came to mind as you heard that read? It's like a courtroom drama, isn't it? Uh, They're pretty popular. (laughs) But in this court, it's the court of heaven, no less. Uh, Satan is pictured there. Uh, That might surprise you. Satan, actually, the name means accuser. Uh, And that's what he's doing pointing out the sin of the high priest Joshua, the sin that would mean that, uh, which would rule him out of serving in the role of the priesthood, which would then be uh, this uh, almost insurmountable barrier to people having access to God. Joshua was the high priest when Judah returned to the land. And at this point, his sin, his sin is representative of all God's people. In fact, the sin of all people. But the vision reveals God will do something mighty. Something mighty to restore Joshua and Jerusalem and his people. We see it in the vision that's given. He takes off Joshua's filthy rags, which picture sin and the unholiness in which disobeying God leaves us, where instead he gives him new clothes, taking away his sin, restoring him to holiness and able to relate to his God. 
Remember when Zechariah spoke, uh, this hasn't happened yet. But the Lord promises it will. And the people of Zechariah's day will see the priesthood restored and so be able to take, uh, uh, well, with it taking its essential place in their life with God for their benefit and joy. There is an expectation, though. Uh, the requirement that has always been the response to God and his word from verse 6. Uh, this is what the Lord Almighty says, verse 7, I should say. If you walk in obedience to me and keep my requirements, then you will govern my house and have charge of my courts, and I will give you a place among these standing here. Obey me, and what I have promised I will give to you. For those who first heard this, they were encouraged to take heart. Joshua the high priest, after the return from exile, he was encouraged to take heart. The Lord would restore the priesthood. He would remove their sin so that they could serve the people of God through the sacrificial system and together dwell with him. We're not told how in Zechariah, but there's more going on here, isn't there? This is a passage that, as you read it, screams out that it is pointing forward to Jesus. The one whom the book of Hebrews calls our great high priest, uh, whose name in Hebrew, uh, Jesus is his name in Greek, his name in Hebrew is Joshua. Joshua means God saves. Uh, people in, when we had children in our family, they thought, oh, that's lovely, you've given all your children biblical names. And we went, uh, this was after three of them, uh, two or three, uh, and we went, oh, yeah, we just picked them because they sounded nice. But the last one, the one you met this morning, we thought we should stick with the plan. The, well, the lack of plan, and we called him Joshua. That's an aside only for you this morning. Uh, what will happen to Joshua and the priesthood? It foreshadows what will happen to Jesus, has happened to him. He is now installed as God's high priest, as our go-between. He stands in the throne room of God, coming before the Father on our behalf, in the courtroom of God, denying the accuser any satisfaction, declaring all of us who trust in him free from shame, innocent, sin-free, guilt-free. Now, while Jesus is foreshadowed in the promise to Joshua, unlike Joshua, he didn't need his own sin taken away. But like Joshua points to here in his day, he is a servant. The branch, uh, the ruler of King David, who would rule on God's throne forever, whom the prophet Jeremiah had promised as the people were taken into exile in chapters 23 and 33 of his prophecy. And here we see that the branch will deal with sin in a single day. He would bring peace 
between God and us and us with one another. From verse 8, listen, high priest Joshua, you and your associates seated, seated before you who are men symbolic of things to come. I am going to bring my servant the branch. See the stone I have set in front of Joshua? There are seven eyes on that one stone and I will engrave an inscription on it, says the Lord Almighty, and I will remove the sin of this land in a single day. In that day, each of you will invite your neighbour to sit under your vine and fig tree, declares the Lord Almighty. In Zechariah's day, not only the high priest and the priesthood, but all the people could look forward to this restoration, even as they looked around and everything looked bleak. They would see it in their lifetime. But it also pointed to a greater day. That's what the Lord said to Joshua and the priest, didn't he? That you are a symbol. And we live in that coming day, the last days which have now begun. When Jesus' high priesthood, where it will remain for all time. That's the first vision. Uh, the second vision for today, the fifth vision of all, is all about the temple. Where the temple of God was where God chose to make himself known among his people. Where the priests and high priests of God served through making sacrifices in the God-given way because of their sin and in order to maintain God's relationship with his people who sinned. With that in ruins at Zechariah's point in time, look how God's going to return again to the people. 4 verse 1, then the angel who talked with me returned and woke me up like someone awakened from sleep. He asked me, what do you see? I answered, I see a gold lampstand with a bowl at the top and seven lamps on it with seven channels to the lamps. Also, there are two olive trees by it, one on the right of the bowl and the other on its left. Now, this lampstand pictured here is actually uh, similar to the lampstand uh, that had been in God's previous temple, which had been made in line with God's commands so many years before in the days of Moses. It shone its light to indicate God's presence among his people. Now, this one is similar but different. The, the original lampstand had to be tended continually by the priests to keep it going and working. This one is plumbed in so as to speak, uh, permanent, uh, receiving its oil perpetually from the two olive trees, olive trees which make olive oil which can run an oil lamp. But that vision is just to whet Zechariah's appetite. It's a sign that the temple will be restored and God will return among them. But here's the follow-up uh, from verse 6 to 10. So he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. What are you, mighty mountain? Before Zerubbabel you will become level ground. Then he will bring out the capstone to shouts of God bless it, God bless it. Then the word of the Lord came to me. 
The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. His hands will also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. Who dares despise the day of small things since the seven eyes of the Lord that range throughout the earth will rejoice when they see the chosen capstone in the hand of Zerubbabel. Now we know Zerubbabel from the royal line of King David, David whose descendant was charged with building the temple. Uh, And even if it had ground to a halt at the time Zechariah began preaching, here Here is how it will end. Zerubbabel will complete it. And the capstone that's spoken about, the final stone that completes the building, it completes this element of God's return among his people. For those who first heard this, they were encouraged to take heart to take heart in the mighty work and mercy of God. Zerubbabel, after return from exile, he was encouraged to take heart, to take up his responsibilities under God. The Lord would restore the place of his dwelling through him, be present among his people in relationship again and dwell with them. And the thing is, Jesus and the New Testament writers pick up on this same sort of building image, don't they? Of how Jesus gives shape to a new building, a new temple. But not a physical temple, though. Uh, But I'm racing ahead of myself. I need to answer the second question that we need to answer. That's leading into the third one. So how is this fulfilled in Jesus? The words of Zechariah. When Jesus came, there was no longer any need for a building in which God dwells because he himself came as God among us, walking and talking and dying and rising. Do you remember what Jesus said when he was confronted in the physical temple in John chapter 2 when the religious leaders were saying, well, who are you? And who says, you have any say around here? And the disciples, only after he left, uh, uh, after he'd risen, did they understand John 2 verse 19. Destroy this temple, Jesus answered them, and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you are going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. What we read in Zechariah 3 and 4 finds its fulfilment in Jesus. And now, through his death and resurrection, and when we trust in and are united with him, Peter tells us in his first letter, in 1 Peter 2, that God come among us is now building a spiritual building. With every single person who turns, who returns to and trusts in Jesus will be indwelt by the Spirit of God. 
that together we will be built up into the dwelling place of God. Which is such an extraordinary privilege. Remember how insignificant appearances can be compared with reality. Uh, What does the Lord say? Verse 6, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. And verse 10, who dares despise the day of small things? God's choice of leader, of people, of pathway may not look impressive. Jesus himself was the suffering servant. He didn't ride a wave of popular approval. He didn't come in order to be served, but to serve. And in these last days, the days in which we live, it's not like followers of Jesus experience any different. In so many ways, we don't look better off than anyone else. In other ways, we look more pitiable in our conviction to trust in and follow Jesus. But even if these still look like the day of small things, do not despise the plans and promises of God, the wisdom of God, seen in the cross of Christ. They may look foolish but they are leading to your salvation. Well, the last thing uh, from Zechariah to look at today, let's skip over to chapter 6 from verse 9. It wraps up chapters 1 to 6. It even has a connection with 1 verse 3 and it certainly does something extraordinary with these two people, these two instruments in God's hands Uh, This one's not a vision, but a sign that Zechariah is to act out, a sign that people will see so that they will see what God wants them to see. Uh, Given where we left these two men at the end of chapter 4, Joshua and Zerubbabel as the two olive trees which constantly supply the lampstand, a day is coming, we're told. It's foreshadowed when the roles of each is combined as one. 6 verse 9, the word of the Lord came to me, take silver and gold from the exiles Heldai, Tobajai and Jedediah, who have arrived from Babylon. Go the same day to the house of Josiah, son of Zephaniah. Take the silver and gold and make a crown and set it on the head of the high priest, Joshua, son of Josadak. Tell him this is what the Lord Almighty says. Here is the man whose name is Branch and he will branch out from this his place and build the temple of the Lord. It is he who will build the temple of the Lord and he will be clothed with majesty and will sit and rule on his throne and he will be a priest on his throne and there will be harmony between the two. The crown will be given to Heldai, Tobijah, Jediah and the son and the son of he, the son of Zephaniah, as a memorial in the temple of the Lord. Uh, those who are far away will come and help build the temple of the Lord, and you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. 
This will happen if you diligently obey the Lord your God. It's the branch again. Promised by Jeremiah the prophet. But again, like last week in the picture of Jerusalem we saw in the other visions, uh, this ruler, God's king, this mediator, the picture exceeds the immediate players of Joshua and Zerubbabel. In fact, it's a picture of a future. Joshua doesn't get to keep the crown on his head. It's returned to the temple for safekeeping until it will one day be worn for all time by the priest who rules, by the priest who himself is the dwelling place of God. And so with that sign, all of these different elements that have been unfolding in God's word up until this point, we see them coming together. And we're pointed to the Lord Jesus. God's son, God himself, reigning over all. Do you see as God sees? Remember 1 verse 3, return uh, to God and he will return to you. Uh, Similar was said in 3 verse 7 to the high priest Joshua. Here it is again at the end of chapter 6 in verse 15. The final words of this section and the final words of these eight visions. Uh, What does the Lord say? Hear my word. Do what I say. And this will happen. And it has happened because of the Lord Jesus who heard the word of the Lord and did what it said and received what was promised so that you and I, united to him, can return to God. Do you see as God sees? God's kingdom on earth is not coming about because of our strength or our cleverness or our persuasiveness. It only comes through the work of his spirit. It has arrived in the Lord Jesus. And so now we ought to pray. Pray your kingdom come. Bring people to repentance, the many who will come, as Zechariah spoke, to build the temple of God, the spiritual building from all nations, that again, people may dwell with God as now he wonderfully dwells with us. We have responsibilities, yes, to obey the word of the Lord, to walk in his ways, to entrust ourselves to his forgiveness. But even those things are all done in his strength. Do you see as God sees? We might launch a rocket to the moon, as we have done again this week. A little bit exciting for a certain personality type in the room. We might pull off extraordinary feats of business or sport or engineering or art. 
But the most extraordinary thing happening in the world today is God moving people from death to life, from being his enemies to being his children, transforming lives and growing us into the image of our great elder brother, Jesus. Do you see what God sees? What looks wise is foolish, and what looks foolish is wise. Look to Christ and his cross, and you will see the power of God for our salvation. Let me lead us in prayer. Dear Father in heaven, thank you for the privilege of your word and through it, by your spirit, we may see as you see. Encourage us, we pray. Grow our confidence, we ask. Help us to remember your promises and return to you in obedience and dependence. For we long to see the finality of your promises. Having seen all that you have done in answer to those you made to Zechariah and your people in this day, now we look forward to seeing Jesus return and your kingdom being seen for what it is by all and for the great mercy that you offer us in forgiveness and life. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.